Thank you for downloading this sermon from Christ the Word Church. If you would like more information on how Christ the Word is reaching, raising, and teaching generations in Northwest Ohio and Southeast Michigan, please visit us online at ChristTheWord.com. All right, stand with me. We're going to look at Matthew 15. Reading together verses 1 through 20. This is the Word of God. Then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. He answered them and said to them, Why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever I have that would help you has been given to God. He is not to honor his father or his mother. And by this, you invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition. The tradition was that you could say, what I would give you, mom and dad, the things that the Bible would call on me to do, I give to God. They're Corban, dedicated to God. And therefore, I have no obligations to you because what I would give to you is given to God. That's the tradition. Jesus says, you have elevated your tradition to such a position that it is contrary to the word of God and you don't understand it. So it goes on, you hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. This people honors me with their lips, but, in their, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. After Jesus called the crowd to him, he said to them, hear and understand, it's not what enters into the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth, this defiles the man. Then the disciples came and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? He answered and said, every plant which my heavenly father did not plant shall be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind, and if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. Jesus said, are you still lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things which defile the man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, which is eternally true, and we ask, Heavenly Father, that we may heed it and that we may put aside the precepts of man and live by the doctrines of your word. Father, around us are many who are, who are encouraged by our culture, encouraged by their pride to put aside the doctrines of God and to embrace instead the precepts of men. And we ask, Heavenly Father, that we will be satisfied with your doctrines. I pray, Father, that you'll speak through me. I pray that you will give power by your spirit, that I will speak with conviction and that it will bring conviction to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Over the course of the last 20, 25, 30 years, I've seen a tendency that is, has been repeated over and over again to the point where I can recognize the pattern and understand what's about to take place. And that's the tendency 
of all sorts of conservative Americans, often Christian Americans, to get upset about something, to make a hullabaloo, and for them to raise such a, 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 a hullabaloo, such a, a panic that they achieve their goal, at least they think they achieve their goal, by convincing some deliberative legislative body to enact a law against the thing they're concerned about. And, uh, and so it happened some years ago with the Defense of Marriage Act in the U.S. Congress. The conservatives said, look, marriage is under attack. We're going to be forced to accept marriage between homosexuals. We're going to be forced to accept. And they got Congress to pass a law in defense of marriage, which was, of course, removed by the Supreme Court in the Obergefell decision a number of years ago. And the pattern is for us to get upset, to make a rule, to think we've won. But when that rule is made that declares something wrong, declares something true, it can be the converse of wrong, it declares something true, if there has to be a law codifying the truth that we are insisting on, then we are very close to that whole, that whole area being lost. So if we have to make a law about homosexual marriage, homosexual marriage is right next door. If we have to make a law forbidding something, very, very often the next thing that will come will be the thing that we're forbidding. Rules are blunt instruments. Rules are often useless instruments. Rules do not make righteousness, and yet rules are essential, and we cannot live without them. And this morning, I want to speak to you about rules. I want to talk to you about rules in light of what Jesus says about the rules of the Pharisees and the rule of God. When I was growing up and we would play games in the household, we had certain rules that were just what you call house rules. They're rules that are made that are, are not in the game, they're not in the instruction pamphlet, but <laughs> we live by them. At least in my house, we live by them. House rules. There's house rules at casinos. Used usually of games, some type of game house rules. And uh, so, for instance, when we'd play Monopoly, the, there's no rule in the rule book that says that you put all your fines in the center in a pot and that when you land on get out of jail free, the person, the next person who lands on it takes everything in the pot. But that's how you play if you're playing at my house, right? And there are rules that you have. If you go and play games at my uh, son-in-law's house, Jonathan's house, you have to put your finger on his phone to determine who goes first. It's, it's, it's a house rule, you know? You don't get out of it because of COVID. You still got to put your finger on his dirty phone. And uh, you have house rules as well for your games. Now, there are house rules. It's my game. It's my rules. They're not usually rules that violate the rules of the game. They just add a spin to it. There are as well household rules. And household rules are different than house rules because house rules are usually for games. But household rules express a greater truth. And in my house, when we play games, it's not a house rule, but it's a household rule that dad better win. All right? And, uh, and my kids all know that if you start ganging up on me 
and you start beating me, what happens, Isaiah? They get sent to bed, all right? Yeah. Uh, you're not going to beat, beat me. This is unfair. I win. And if I lose more than 50% of the time, I'm unhappy, right? Now, that's our house rule. All the kids know it. They all expected that if I started getting really terribly beaten in hotels, which is one of our favorite games, that I'd just say, I'm done. Go to bed. Not right, but it's my house rules, household rules. You know, it's the way it was in a number of areas. I hate to say it, that, that, that instance is true. It's true. Uh, in our household rules of Jonathan's house, one of the rules is everyone gangs up on Jonathan if we're playing games, all right? Because Jonathan is always winning, except when Ken Wegren's there. And, and, and he's always, and so it's fair game, and Jonathan sits there and he mopes and goes, why are you picking on me? But it's fair, it's household rules. Kill Jonathan, then the game can be enjoyed. All right? Now, those are game rules. Those are household rules. They're the, the rules of the house and the rules of the household. But you have household rules in many areas, and so do I, that have nothing to do with games. All of us have household rules that we live by that are not based in any formal moral code or demanded by any fixed system of law, but they are just the way we have established that our lives and our households run. It makes life easier to have certain understandings, certain ways things are done. At times, these rules are used to promote bigger things, to promote a character that we want to see in our children, to reflect the rules that we grew up with, perhaps, in our home, and that we still respect now that we have our own families. They are family codes that are, in a way, an extension of the family character. They reveal family beliefs. They're not of the essence of those things, but they are tied to them. They aren't rules that came down from the mountain written on tablets of stone, but they are rules that are erected by parents in our homes to protect our families and very often, those rules that we establish that are not written on stone are given to protect our families from violating the rules that did come down from the mountain and were written on stone. So in my home growing up, we had certain family rules. There are a bunch of them. You can't sing at the dinner table. I don't know why, but that I passed on. Do not sing how many of your parents hate it when the kids are singing at the dinner table? <laughs> More hands on it, yeah. <laughs> Do not sing. That had no moral <laughs> meaning other than don't irritate your mama or your papa. We were required, I've told you this before, not to eat before our mother. And that's a rule I brought into our own home. The mother's taking the time to make the meal and to feed us. Then we honor her by waiting until she is seated and has eaten before we eat. In our own home, we, we didn't have a TV. We said we can't afford the mess that comes with TV, the moral issues. And so we said there's going to be no TV in our house. And then when, when video on computer screens became prevalent about 10, 15 years into our marriage... We allowed computers and the screens, but we made a rule that there was no watching video in our bedrooms. If you were going to watch a video, you had to do it out in the open. 
And it was to protect against a bigger rule. What's the bigger rule? You shall have no graven images. You shall not worship an idol. And let me tell you, pornography is idolatry. Straight up, every idol of the ancient past was pornographic. Bare genitalia, bare torsos. It was porn. fertility gods everywhere all the time. And so we had this rule because we wanted to protect against idolatry. We had a rule in our family that there was no taking dishes into bedrooms. And that rule got established a little later because we would go to look for dishes and we'd find them all under Ben's bed. <laughs> so we established a rule so that we had a functioning kitchen. There was no taking dishes into bedrooms. Now, our rules aren't your rules. Maybe at some points they overlap. They're not going to be identical to your rules. I know that some of you have had rules as well that are distinct from ours. Some of you have a rule that the last one to make it to the table once dinner's called for is the one who clears the dishes. Some of you have had a rule that is kind of like our no TV rule, but you say no non-Christian music. You can't listen to non-Christian music. There have been families, a number of them in our church, who say that there's no dating until you're 16 or 18, or that if you're going to date and you're our daughter, you're going to do what is called courtship, or at least it used to be called courtship. I don't know if it's called that anymore. But we want to meet the guy. We want you thinking about marriage right off the bat. Others say, no, we don't want you thinking about marriage. And so we're going to let it be casual, but we don't want you thinking. And so very often we have opposing rules that are sort of based in the same desires, but we approach it from very different points of view. Some of us have rules. If you want to drive, you have to be able to work and pay for your own insurance for your car as you're driving. Now, all of these things are, of course, expressions of family values, things that we consider important as a family, things that are necessary for the smooth functioning of our families. But some of them, some of them are based beyond our family on uh, the values of God given to us in stone on the mountaintop, Ten Commandment values, idolatry, worship, Sabbath, honoring parents. These are... Uh, these rules include a rule we had and that I grew up with that we couldn't study on the Lord's Day. We were not to study on the Sabbath. It's not a rule that God gave. It's a rule that we made based on his saying, honor the Sabbath, that we felt was a way of avoiding the work that God said not to do. That particular extension of the rule is one that some of you have held to and others have not. We don't ask you and make it a part of our our work as a church know what you do on this, but these are things that many of us have been concerned about and have, have, have established rules to protect against or to enforce. These rules are extensions of God's commands at times. They are a hedge that we erect to protect our family from getting to the precipice of actually breaking and violating with, with wanton disregard the commandments of God. So we put a fence up, a hedge. We say, don't go beyond here because be, you go beyond here and there's a hole and that hole is ranked disobedience to God and we don't want you falling into that. And so they are not the commandments and because we wait for our mothers to begin eating does not mean that we are actually doing what the rule is intended to convey, uh, honor for parents, honor for our mother. We could be waiting every meal for our mother to begin 
before we take our first bite and still not honor her in our hearts. It's, it's entirely possible. Courting rather than dating does not protect from sexual immorality. These rules that we make are not in themselves preventative. They're hedges, they're fences, but people can climb over fences. You can be worldly, vain, sexually immoral, and never listen to worldly music, never hear a syncopated beat, never go on a date. You can be sheltered and still have a vile heart. The reality is that house rules and traditions, traditions of a church, traditions of a home, regulate the external part of our lives, but they do not renovate the heart. They regulate the flesh, but they don't renovate your heart. And as Jesus warns, the heart is the source of sin. Evil comes from within, not from outside in. Evil is found inside and goes out. And so what we find in this passage is Jesus dealing with tradition. Tradition, another word for house rules. There are some scribes and some Pharisees who come to him from Jerusalem. Remember, from Jerusalem to the north shore of the Sea of Galilee is a long trip, a very serious endeavor for these men to make. And when they get to Jesus, the first thing that Matthew tells us they ask of him is, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. Now, it doesn't appear that they came all this way just to ask this question. We read in another gospel's account of this event that when they came to Jesus, they happened to see the disciples eating without washing their hands, and so they led in with this question. Yet this simple initial question reveals a world of trouble and evil over a very minor issue. Who cares about washing hands? Who cares? But of course, these men do care. They care very much about their traditions. They care so much about their traditions that they will not worship the Son of God because he does not hew to their traditions. They love their traditions. They believe in their traditions. And they are convinced that their traditions bring them satisfaction with God. Bring them closeness to God. So failure to wash before eating was an important tradition to the Pharisees. It was a tradition. They themselves say, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They acknowledge that it's a tradition. There are certain, certain types of tradition. One type of tradition is the kind of tradition you have when you put your stockings over the fireplace on Christmas Eve and you join together as a family to make gingerbread. It's sweet. It's a nice tradition. It's the kind of tradition that no one takes offense at and that if you don't do it, no one's going to criticize you for. Then there is tradition as in the tradition of standing for the national anthem, of facing the flag and placing your hand over your heart. Now that is also a tradition. But there is a world of difference in the judgments that are made on the basis of the first tradition versus the second tradition. 
fail to keep that first tradition of Christmas Eve, no one's going to criticize. Fail to keep that second form of tradition, and you will find that there will be many who will criticize. They will ask you why, just like the Pharisees do here with Jesus. Why do you not do the tradition? Do you not care about our nation? Are you a rebel? They will read these things into your failure to keep the tradition. Failure to wash before eating was the second type of tradition to the Pharisees. A tradition, they admit it, but vital. A holy tradition, a reverent tradition, a tradition that every truly righteous man should keep. This tradition has become almost as important to the Pharisees as the word of God itself. In fact, they view it as kind of inseparable from the rules of God. Where did this tradition come from? How did these washings become a thing? There is no explicit command in the Old Testament that you're to wash before a meal. Now, priests were required to wash their hands and their feet when they would go into the temple. Upon going in, they had the labors there that were the water holders for the ritual washings. You touched a dead body, you were required to wash. If you were healed of leprosy, you needed to wash. There are many, many more ritual washings, but there's no requirement to wash before meals. And so the disciples' failure is against a tradition of the elders, not God's law. Now, it's interesting to note that Jesus was baptized by John, John the Baptist, which was a washing. And he did so that all righteousness might be fulfilled. And that that tradition, not commanded in the Old Testament, was one that Christ himself engaged in. He saw it as a healthy tradition. It was nothing more than a tradition. Not commanded in the Old Testament. And yet Christ himself was washed in baptism. And he commanded it and gave it as a law to his followers. Something that they were to follow. The elders, however, had erected this tradition of washing before meals for a reason. They wanted to keep people from bigger offenses, so, so they made a rule. Look, let's just remember the need to wash, the need to be pure, the, the need to be ritually sanctified before God. Every meal, we wash. Every meal, it's a reminder. It's a good thing. Every meal, we're going to wash so that we're reminded of what we can eat and what we can't eat, of whether we're pure or impure. We're going to do it. We're going to wash. You know that the Pharisees are are thought to be, by many scholars, descendants of, a, of an Old Testament leader that we all respect and love. Uh, that leader, the father of the Pharisees, was not a Pharisee. He had, I think, no idea of how his, his reformation of Israel was going to go astray over the centuries after him. But the man who is considered by Jews today and by Christian scholars, the father of the Pharisaical sect is Ezra, who came back from the exile and said, this is what happens. We are ruined when we don't keep the law of God. And who demanded that the people keep the law of God. And he, he was strident. 
Remember at one point he goes and he grabs men by their hair and their beards. He's so angry at them for not keeping the law of God. At another point he keeps all the people standing in the, in the cold rain for hours because they've been doing wrong things. Ezra is ironclad about obeying God and a great man for it. But out of Ezra came this sect that said, look, it's so important that we keep the law of God, that we're going to surround the law of God with all our traditions, and we're going to keep these traditions so that we don't fall into the hole that's beyond the fence of our tradition. Now, we must understand that there are three sets of rules that are at play in this passage. The first is pure tradition. Tradition that's based on the ceremonial washings of the Old Testament. That is one obvious set of rules. It's expressed by the Pharisees. They are the champions of these rules. Why do you not wash is one of those rules. Washing before meals. There are many other rules. Tithing every little, every little piece of herb you get in your garden. The dill. The cumin. They just have all these rules. So that's one, one set of rules. Tradition. Tradition that is intended to keep us from violating the laws of the Old Testament. There is a second set of rules that's at play in this passage. And those are the ceremonies of the Old Testament, which are implicit here. The ritual laws of purity that regulated much of Jewish life. And those laws are the laws that the Pharisees are adamant about keeping and saying, okay, we're even going to wash before our meals so that we don't violate the rules God has given us. God gave the Jews. The second time Moses went up the mountain, first time he went up, he was given the Ten Commandments, came back down, found the people worshiping an idol, threw down the Ten Commandments, stopped the orgy that was going on below. Afterward, goes back up the mountain, speaks to God, is given again the Ten Commandments, and God also lays out for him all the ritual rules of his people, all the ceremonial law, the sacrifices, the washings, the rules about leprosy. All these things are given to Moses after he goes back again up the mountain. Now, we have to understand something about these ritual rules. In the, in the mind of every Jew... There was a clear distinction between the commandments of God and the precepts and the rules and the ceremonies of their nation. They all understood it. They understood that these rules were not the commandments of God, but were intended to keep the people focused on God, on being a people set apart, pure, holy, set apart for God, so that they would keep the commandments. <clears throat> The ceremonies of the Old Testament provided the foundation for this tradition of the Pharisees. But they are distinct from the third type of rule that I want to make clear to you and have us understand very distinctly from the first two. The first is tradition. The second is the ceremonies that God did give. And that third set of rules that we see in this passage is the law of God that is eternal because it flows from his very essence. It is a reflection of who he is. And those rules are found 
in the Ten Commandments. And there is a huge difference between those rules and the ceremonies God gave. How were the ceremonies different? Well, the ceremonies were not there in the Garden of Eden. There were no ceremonies there. But there was a law, which was you shall obey your God. Every one of the Ten Commandments was expressed in the command not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when Adam and Eve ate of that fruit, and their son killed his brother, the bad fruit of their bad fruit, when that happened, Cain didn't say, well, what is this? I don't understand the concept of murder. I don't understand killing. I don't understand why you're upset with me, God. He hid from God. He knew what he'd done was wrong. These laws were written on his heart. He understood it. Everyone understands these laws, the Ten Commandments. They're written on our hearts. They're reflections of God. You have to be, you have to be, you can't live a human life and not understand this about God. It's impossible. Abraham did not keep, Abraham is the father of the Jews, but he didn't keep the ceremonial law. Actually, the first part of the ceremonial law was the first thing that ceremony, the first ceremony that Abraham engaged in. That was circumcision. But beyond circumcision, nothing was required of Abraham. Isaac didn't keep the ceremonial law. Jacob didn't keep the ceremonial law. Israel, Jacob, whose name is Israel. Israel did not have ceremonial law. The patriarchs, the 12 tribes, didn't have ceremonial law. They had circumcision, and that's all they had, nothing else. Joseph didn't keep the ceremonial law. The people of Abraham had become a great nation, millions, before God gave Moses the ceremonial law surrounding the temple with all its sacrifices and all its washings and all its food restrictions. We need to understand this. In a sense, the ceremonies of the Old Testament were God's household rules for his people. They were based in the fundamental nature of God. They were based in it, but God very clearly over time made it clear to his children that those laws were not the fundamental laws. How did God make it clear that the, the ceremonies of the Old Testament were not the key things, were distinct from the commandments that are found in the Ten Commandments? Well, the ceremonies of the Old Testament are for a time. And that time is declared over on this very day that these Pharisees come to criticize the disciples to Jesus. In the midst of this very discussion, Jesus declares those ceremonies over. We read in verses 17 through 20 that Jesus speaks to his disciples and says, Did you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things which defile the man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. Now, you say, where does he abrogate the Old Testament commands? Well, I want to read to you Mark's account of this very same conversation. 
And when he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable. And he said to them, are you so lacking in understanding also? Sounds the same, right? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated? Then Mark adds, thus he declared all foods clean. It's this day that God says, no more. By saying it's what comes out and not what goes in that makes you unclean. Jesus declared all foods clean. The Holy Spirit tells us this. Those laws are over. Right here, right now. Not just the dietary laws, the whole of the Old Testament system of sacrifices, of ritual purity is over. It's done with. Jesus has come. Calvin writes, the ceremonial law was the tutelage of the Jews. It means it's the way they were taught. With which it seemed good to the Lord to train this people, as it were, in their childhood until the fullness of time should come in order that he might fully manifest his wisdom to the nations and show the truth of those things which were then foreshadowed in figures. In other words, once Jesus comes, there's no sacrifice at the temple. The veil is rent. It's ripped from top to bottom because Jesus is here. There's no more need for these things that were holding the people of the Old Testament in bondage. Remember that the the Ten Commandments were punished over and over again by death. And Jesus himself says in this passage that if you curse your mother or father, you are to be put to death. But there is not a ceremonial law that is punished by death. It's very clear. The ceremonies of the Old Testament were the household rules of God. They were the rules that were intended to regulate the people to teach them. But we, living in New Testament times, are set free from the bondage of all those rules because we have been given something that does renovate the heart. We have been given the Holy Spirit. We're not kept in bondage by laws. We're not under the schoolmaster of the law. We've been given by Jesus Christ the ability to be made new. God gives his people house rules, ceremonies for Israel. And you know there are house rules today for God's people. Baptism, the Lord's Supper, things that are commanded and we must do them, but they don't save. They regulate the flesh. They do not renovate the heart. And so we see in the, in the scriptures that the thief on the cross who repents in the presence of Jesus as he is being crucified at Jesus' side is not baptized, does not take the Lord's Supper, does not go to the temple and offer sacrifices for his sins. They're all the same kind of ritual. He does none of those things, but he's welcomed by Jesus into paradise. Now, in this same passage, Jesus makes it crystal clear that though the ceremonies are over, though the traditions of men based on those ceremonies are done, the law of God 
which these ceremonies are intended to illustrate and help us observe, that is never over. It's never done. It's not temporary, the law of God. It's not just for a time. When he criticizes the Pharisees for insisting on washings, even as by their traditions they allow children not to honor their parents by helping them in their old age, Jesus is making clear that his law is eternal. That the Ten Commandments and their reflection of the nature of God are not something that we can discard. This Pharisaic tradition that said children could say, Mom and Dad, I'm going to give to God what I would have otherwise given to you. I'm dedicating it to God and you're not going to get it. Jesus says, this is wicked. He reminds them, the Pharisees, the ones who made up this tradition. He reminds them, the care for parents is in the commandments by quoting the fifth commandment. For God said, honor your father and mother. And that honor extends until death. Fathers and mothers, those of you who've taken out, you know, policies so that your children don't have to care for you so that you can be put into a nursing home and cared for by people who aren't your children you realize that that at times what you're doing is telling your children exactly what the pharisees did children do you understand that god expects you to care for your parents as your parents were expected to care for you so you are expected to care for your your parents Jesus adds to that first command, honor your father and mother, which he says is opposed to what the Pharisees have allowed by their tradition. Another command to show the seriousness of this sin that they are condoning and allowing children to ignore their duty to care for their parents. And he says, he adds to honor your father and mother. That's very obvious. But then he adds the second commandment. And he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. This is a an interesting statement to, to pair these two commands against what the tradition of the Pharisees has been. The one, yeah, honor your father and mother. The second one, speaking against your parents makes you subject to the penalty of death. There is no death for any of the commands that are the ceremonies. All the tithings, all the sacrifices, all the ritual purity, all the rules about what you eat. At worst, you'd be evicted from Israel. Tithings are not commanded. In the New Testament, when Ananias and Sapphira pretend they've given everything they have from the sale of their field to God. And Peter confronts them and says, why did you, he doesn't say, why did you not tithe? He says, why did you lie? to the Holy Spirit. He isn't basing their guilt, the judgment that's about to ensue on ceremony, tithing. He bases it on lying. And that's what Jesus does here with this tradition that you don't have to take care of your parents. He says, hey, that tradition is behind, is, is implicated by the command of God that he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. It's speaking evil to say, I'm not going to help you. I'm going to give it to God. 
No ceremonial law was punished by death. Over and over again, God told the people of Israel, in fact, that he cared nothing for their sacrifices that were just external. He says that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. He speaks through Isaiah to his people, people who kept all his ceremonies. He says, you keep all my ceremonies perfectly, but you don't know me. You don't worship me. You're in the temple, you're doing all the things, but you don't know me. And so he says, what are your multiplied sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls or lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who requires of you this trampling of my courts? In other words, you're doing all the things, but I don't care. Bring your worthless offerings no longer. Incense, an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and the solemn assembly. In other words, you come together, but you're rebels. You say you're coming for me. I can't abide iniquity and the solemn assembly being taking place at the same time. I hate your new moon festivals, your appointed feasts. I hate your appointed feasts. God appointed them. He hates them. They have become a burden to me, and I am weary of bearing them. God gives household rules to his people. He did so with the Jews before, the, before Christ came to earth, pointing to him. He does so for us, and they point to the second coming. Fewer today, the sacraments. They are signs like the Old Testament ceremonies. They do not save. They have no meaning if they are not accompanied by a renovated heart that is made new by faith. We must love God. We must know God. It is not enough to keep the rules. We must have the Holy Spirit of God in our hearts changing us so that we love the God of the rules and that we seek the character of the God of the rules. The moral law, it's not, it's not house rules. The Ten Commandments, they're not household, household principles. House rules, household law is not permanent. But the commandments, they reflect the nature of God. And praise God that they do. Praise God that God is reflected in the Ten Commandments. House rules vary from house to house. God's rules are for all time and all people. Even Satan himself is under the Ten Commandments. God's rules are written on the heart. They're not written on legal code. They're known by all. God has written them there. Now, household rules, they can be dispensed with on occasion. And in the Old Testament, we see this. God says, forget your sacrifices. He says to David, go ahead, take the showbread that's only for the priests. Violation of the ceremonial law. At one point when they were offering sacrifices and there weren't enough priests who were ritually pure, they took the Levites. It wasn't allowed for the Levites to do these things, but God said, go ahead. He permitted it. Not death, but satisfaction with God. But no satisfaction save through Jesus and his blood can be found for a murderer. God does not dispense with his law, thou shalt not murder. This is a vital point today, and I want to close with this. We tell our children that they should not think about us, that they don't need to care for us. Yet children are to care for parents. Jesus, Jesus demands it here, even as he rejects tradition. 
And this is the way it always is with human laws. Human laws can be done. Household rules can be followed. The law of God demands our entire lives. God wants our entire life, our hearts. You can regulate the body through rules. You can't renovate the heart. Now, I close. House rules are inevitable. And inevitably, they lead some to destruction, as they did the Pharisees. They're necessary and yet dangerous. And the reason that they are dangerous is found in the fact that they are doable. You can wash your hands and clean them with water. You can't get at your heart. You can't. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who can wash it? The only path to the heart is through Jesus. You can avoid unclean foods. And so often, these household rules that we erect, that are the traditions of our households, are, are like those of the Pharisees. They're rigorous. They're demanding. We say to our children, you can't live in my home if you take that vaccine. As though a vaccine makes a child a sinner. What do we think Jesus is saying when he says it's not what goes from outside inside that makes us unclean? Do you think there's no relevance to this to our lives? Do you think that we're free from this kind of pharisaical insistence on our traditions and rejection of what God has said? Do you think that our church is free from this kind of stain? You can avoid the vaccine, but you can't be holy as God is holy. And that's what God demands. You can not date until you're 21. And that's doable, hard, doable. But you can't love your neighbor as yourself. You can homeschool all your children. It's doable. And you can have rules about what they may or may not do, what they listen to, what they watch. Doable. But loving your enemy and turning the other cheek to the one who abuses you, not doable. The one is a tradition, the other a command. So, What are we to do? A few thoughts. First, you're going to have rules. They're going to be household rules. Don't put too much trust in your rules. The minute you come to trust your rules to protect your children and to protect your home, you're going to find them fracturing as you lean on them. And they're going to come up through your palm and they're going to pierce you and you're going to be bloody and miserable because you're relying on a weak read of a rule rather than relying on the Holy Spirit of God. Over the years I've been a pastor, I've seen so many rules be the precursor to disobedience in that very area. The family that said, our children are going to court 
is the family. I'm not speaking, I'm speaking generally here. Is the family where the very first child is sleeping with the guy she's courting. They had the rules, didn't have the heart. Don't put too much hope in your rules. Trust in God. Mothers, trust in God. God is faithful. If you trust your rules, really you're trusting your own wisdom and abilities and you know you're fallible. Trust God. Trust him. He's faithful. He's given you promises. Would you not rather trust God than some construct that you've worked up, some tablet of rules that you've erected for you? Isn't God, I'm not saying not to have the rules, but I'm talking about where you place your trust. Hold your rules lightly. They're going to get violated. Hope that God is a God who will be a father to your children. Trust in the fatherhood of God. This honoring of father and mother. Why do you think Jesus is so adamant about honor your father and mother? Because he's a son. It's based in him being a son of a father who honors his father in everything. This is the character of God. Wouldn't you rather trust a God who is a father than your rules? As a church, house rules are often part of church life. And I have them myself. Don't drop your wrappers on the floor, kids. And I'd like to have one that no gum in the church house, but I've lost that battle. But as a church, we do inevitably find ourselves pushed to have household rules. And though we suggest them, we rarely demand them. Not saying that they're not wise, but any rule we give can be, can be done. Now, I'd love every man in this, in this church who struggles with pornography to get rid of every screen that's part of his life, from phones to computers to TVs. I'd love it. I think it'd be great. And the internet as well. But you understand that porn idols existed before the internet. Pornography existed before the printing press. Rules constrain the flesh all too often at the expense of the obedience of the heart. Our rules will not make people righteous. Three, make certain when you have rules or traditions. The second one was about the church. And it's true for our homes as well. But third, Make certain when you have rules or traditions that when you punish on the basis of your traditions, you punish disobedience and not clumsiness or not thinking, all right? You don't want to be spanking your kids because they violated your rules. You want to be punishing because God has been offended in some way. God does not punish you for getting in a car accident, does he? He doesn't say, oh, look what you did to my car. <laughs> God does not punish you for spilling the water at the dinner table. 
Now, it could be that your child spills the water so often that finally you're going to spank or do something because it's carelessness. It's disrespect at some point. But never because water was spilled at the table. Never because the car was wrecked. Never. Let me add that even when the, the commands of God are violated, very often, the best response is love and not punishment. When your daughter comes to tell you that she's been sexually active with her boyfriend, you don't spank, you don't shout. You thank God that your daughter has been given a view of her sin, of her heart. You praise God and you thank her and you love her. Fourth, third is making certain that your rules are traditions, that the punishment is wise. Fourth, make certain that your family rules are not more important and thus more holy to you than God's rules. My father used to say, in many churches in America, you would be hauled up before the elders if you spoke the word S-H-I-T, which is actually a word that Jesus uses, or its equivalent in Aramaic. But the children of the church will take the name of God in vain. Make sure you understand that your family's rules against crude speech or whatever are not the same as the law of God. Make sure they understand that you keep a distinction in your mind between what we do as a family and what God demands and that you don't confuse the two. Fifth, if your rules are exasperating your children, they're going the wrong way. If your rules are so many and so tight that people look at you and say, wow, I'd rather live under Attila the Hun, then probably you're doing things wrong. Do not exasperate. Sixth, in the administration of your rules, seek to know the hearts of your children. Don't just go by how obedient they are to the rules. I've known families where they got the obedience to the rules they wanted, but the hearts of their children are far from God. Now, many people would say these families have done a wonderful thing and that their children are upstanding citizens and so forth. Those children do not honor God. Some of your children are going to be like the son in Jesus' parable who says, yes, dad, yes, dad, when his father asks for help, then doesn't do it. Some of your children are going to be like the other brother who says, no way, and then goes and does it. You want to be certain of the heart. You don't want to be looking only at the externals. Don't reward external conformity. Finally, seventh, never be satisfied that your rules are being kept. If your rules are all being kept and you're satisfied 
you're looking at the externals. You want your children to know that there's a greater rule than your rule. And that's the rule of God. And God is to be feared because he is a holy God who says to his children, be ye holy even as I am holy. That is the requirement of God for you and your children and we never meet it. Praise God that he has given us a way to himself that is not through rules, not obtained by obedience, but a perfect way, a new form of righteousness that is found in his son. No longer displayed in ceremonies, but directly. We are washed by the blood of his son, not by the blood of bulls and goats, but the blood of God's precious son. And so he does not hold us in check by rule after rule after rule after rule like he did with the Israelites, but he gives us his Holy Spirit so that we can have the renovated heart rather than the regulated body. Praise God. House rules can regulate. They can't renovate. And we need renovation. Our need is for a new heart. A new and living heart that loves God. May God grant us this and our children this. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son who is a perfect expression of sonship. A perfect expression of the character of God. And in whose perfection is found our hope. We turn to you, Father, knowing how dark our hearts are knowing the darkness of the hearts of our children, Father, knowing that no rule will ever suffice. And we ask you, by your Holy Spirit, apply the salvation that is found in the blood of Jesus to our lives. Wash us clean. Make us new. Give us hearts that obey you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.